Yeah, just um, <clears throat> we we don't know, right? We just don't know, and that that is even more reason why um, just understanding that very truth, how it is that there should be a sense of urgency for each and every one of us to be right with the Lord, to maintain that relationship with the Lord, to nurture it, and um, to also encourage one another in the things truly that are eternally important, that are of eternal value. So this morning, uh, we are in Matthew chapter 7. So if you haven't turned in your Bibles, we're in in Matthew chapter 7. And the title of this morning's message is Heretic or the Son of God? So it's a question, Heretic or the Son of God? We're covering two verses this morning, but uh, in that study, we're going to cover other verses and other Gospels and areas of Scripture that uh, in order to just basically establish this truth, and that is that Jesus is who he said he was, that he has all authority to speak and teach and rebuke the way he has up to this point. We're coming to the last portion of this chapter, which closes, completes, fulfills the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus You remember back in Matthew chapter 5 how it is that Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and and he taught, and he taught, and he taught. He taught quite a bit. Now, here in these final two verses, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. C.S. Lewis said, quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him or his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Close quote. So true, I agree with C.S. Lewis. He's either a liar... He's either a lunatic or he is who he said he was and is today, Lord. Jesus, I want to cover a few things, just kind of backtrack and bring you through the Sermon on the Mount of which he is bringing to a close. Jesus covered the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5. Jesus covered what it is to be salt and light. 
Christ's fulfillment of the law. You remember anger and reconciliation with someone else. Adultery and lust, divorce, vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He also said, no vengeance. Give even to the one who doesn't deserve it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to those in need. He also gave us the model for prayer. He talked about fasting, about securing treasures in heaven. How not to be anxious. He spoke about judging others. He also taught on asking and seeking and knocking. He taught on the golden rule and the narrow gate. He warned about false prophets and how you identify the false, but also the genuine believer. And he also taught us how to make sure that we ourselves are genuine believers. And finally, he spoke about building our lives on a solid foundation on the rock on the truth, on Jesus Christ. And really, understanding that if we're building our lives on the truth, that it is demonstrated by our obedience to the Word of God. It's demonstrated in that way. There is fruit. So that our lives, as the storms come, and they will come, and they will strike, that our lives will stand, we will not be moved, we will not be shaken, We will continue steadfast in the Lord. And after he concluded this teaching, the people were speechless. They were in awe. They were amazed. They were, in a very real way, left with their mouths wide open. But one thing we need to understand is not that they were amazed, not that this was great teaching, this is amazing, oh, wow, you know, it's Jesus Christ. Well, at the moment, they were only beginning to understand who he was. What we need to get today is why they were in such amazement. That is what we need to understand. Because it wasn't because Jesus was such an eloquent speaker. He was so amazing that he had them sitting on the edge of their seats the whole way through. But in in another way, I have no doubt that they were. They were all standing. Remember, the teacher was sitting and all of the disciples that were following him were standing. But in a way, I have no doubt that he had them on the edge of their seats. But it wasn't that. It was actually Jesus' teaching. The manner in which he taught was unlike anyone else. And this is what they acknowledged. The people immediately contrast Jesus' teaching with that of the scribes. The scribes actually being the teachers of the time. You see, they taught in a different way. There was a difference. The scribes never taught with their own authority. They would quote and they would refer to the authority of others. But there was a difference with Jesus because there was, a, there was a personal authority. He spoke 
and he taught scripture. And then he himself gave the interpretation. It was like as if he was saying, and he did, he was saying, you have heard it said, but I say, right? He said that on several occasions as we look back, we can see those things Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, and he goes on and on. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. He was saying, listen, I know what was written. I know what was spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai. And let me give you the interpretation of what was spoken. And I give it to you with full authority because I was there. This type of preaching is either presumptuous and heretical, or Jesus was indeed the Son of God, and we shouldn't dare ignore this fact. Either Jesus' claims were false and he knew it, or his claims were false and he did not know it, or his claims were true. Those are the only options. So again, and I bring this to the forefront, he's either Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. But Jesus could never be a good teacher or a moral teacher if he wasn't who he said he was. Jesus was either was either one or the other. Jesus was either a heretic or he is the son of God. And there was no mistaking that this crowd that heard Jesus teach knew that Jesus was teaching the law of Moses with again a personal authority. And even teaching and warning as if he had divine authority, which he did. He was teaching as if he was sent by God, which he was. He was sent by God and he did have the authority. And he is God the Son. And he is the Son of God. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. We're going to look at three things. Number one, the Word. Number two, the Teacher. And number three... I am. Those three. So let's take a moment, pray, and then we'll get into some additional scripture. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would reveal to anyone who is here who does not yet believe, that does not yet call on you as Lord and as Savior, that this morning would be the day of salvation. I pray, Lord, for all of us, that you would establish in our hearts, Lord, just uh, just drive that root even deeper. Lord, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, that He has all authority, and that we, would de- we demonstrate that love to you as we surrender to your word, as we are governed by your word, as we abide in your word, and uh, Lord, to uh, 
place in our lives that we would glorify you. Lord, I pray that we would not just be believers by proclamation, but we would be believers also by application. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the word. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 1. So John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And so in the beginning, in the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word is translated from the Greek word, as some would say, logos or logos. And it was a familiar word which had great meaning in that day to both Jews and Greeks. They were very familiar with that word. And it would, I hope and I pray, would have great meaning for us today. To the Jews, the rabbis would teach how it is that the word of God was, spe- was speaking of God himself. The people would be brought out by Moses to meet with God, and they interchangeably said also, Brought him out to meet with the word of God. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 17 says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. To meet with God. With the word of God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. What this is speaking to, and this is, these are the Jews that understood this very well. This is how they were taught. What this communicated to them is that this was not an impersonal, distant God. You know, you can have some of the other religions and and you're dealing with an impersonal, distant God. And in many respects, they're agnostic. That means that they believe in God, but he can't really be known. You can possibly come close, but you can't actually get to a place where you know God personally. So for the Jews, they knew that this spoke of an intimacy, of a personal God that was interested in all the details of their lives. They knew this. They learned this from the Old Testament times, from the times that they were in the wilderness. They were encouraged with this word, understanding that he is an intimate and personal God. In fact, the word tells us in the New Testament, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is, that is not a God that does not desire for you to come close. Don't come too close. No, he wants you to come all the way. 
He wants you to be with him. He wants you to get to know him. To the Greek philosopher, Logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it in perfect order. It kept it in that way, avoiding chaos. So they knew this very well. It was familiar to them. And so basically, John was proclaiming to both the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, the very thing that they were very familiar with in that day. It was known in their teachings and it was known in their writings as being the one who is intimately interested in each and every one of you. The one that we worshipped in the wilderness and brought us into the promised land. This is the God who is now before us. He is in the flesh and he has come. And so they understood this very well. Because John made it perfectly clear that the Logos, the Word, is eternal, being with God from the beginning, and that the Word was God. It was perfectly clear. And at the same time, there was this distinction that was made in this one verse, that although the Word was God, He is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, because He was was with God. And he was God. But again, there's no question that John was claiming that Jesus was the Son of God. And that he was also God the Son. Again, let's read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's no question there. Jesus came in the flesh, as it says in Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 15, it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. He's eternal. Because he was before me. So he's speaking of his, his deity. He's eternal. He existed before me. And he always will. He is God. So there's no question about it. Would this be enough authority? Say absolutely, right? He spoke with authority as, as we think about what we covered in the last two verses of chapter 7 of Matthew. They were in awe. They were astonished. They were amazed. He speaks with authority, not like our scribes. Who is this? It makes it abundantly clear. We also see in Scripture that he's the teacher, Let's turn back to Matthew, but let's go to Matthew chapter 13. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Matthew 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were, there's that word again, astonished. 
and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. So he was teaching there. This is also covered, by the way, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Same story, and it's told by Mark. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And he went about among the villages teaching. So even as he couldn't do much in his hometown of Nazareth, he went from there and he did do some healing there. He did do some teaching there because it says right here that he was in the synagogue and he was teaching, right? But because of their unbelief, he couldn't do much there. And so he left and he went about among the villages from there and he did this one thing. He taught he taught, and he taught the same way he taught the Sermon on the Mount, with great authority, with divine authority, with perfect authority. He also, and we're just laying down the fact that he, he taught. He was the teacher. He was the Word, and then now he is the teacher. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they loved to put Jesus on the spot. You see, these were the groups that were the religious leaders of the time. They had power and authority. That they had prestige and they had position among the people. And so here comes Jesus. He's teaching with authority. And, of course, they're not going to like this. And so they, they like to put him on the spot. Just ask him if he really knew what he was talking about. Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, there's an example of this as we read. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And did they really think that? And you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. That is true. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? <laughs> every time, no, just every time I hear about the love of God, right? And when it's put in such a way that you, people make Jesus out to look like he accepts everything. Just throw it his way and he'll take it. And he'll, he'll go ahead and leave you that way too because he just loves you that much. Then I come across something like this and I'm thinking, have, they, haven't, they haven't picked up scripture. There's no way they've picked up scripture. They really don't understand that the love of God actually rebukes us, warns us, and tells us that these things are not the things that are love, that are not 
of God. They're completely contrary to God. In fact, he calls people out. It's totally anti-PC, right? I mean, when you call someone a hypocrite, I mean, he knew what they were thinking. He knew their intent. He's aware of their malice. And he just straight out said, why put me to the test? You, you, go ahead and say that word. You what? Hypocrites. He said it, right? So, of course, it's shocking. You know, I I would have no doubt that they're standing there before him. These men that were sent out by the Pharisees, and and I have no doubt that they were the best. They were going to entangle him. Or so they were going to try. And he straight just calls them hypocrites. And then he said, show me the coin for the tax. Okay, I have one right here. You know, and they flick it, flipping it over to Jesus. And he gets it. And then he says, um, they, you know, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. They were speechless, but they were speechless in a different way, right? It's like Jesus answered them. Sometimes we, we complicate things, right? It's like the things of the world. Like, quite frankly, we're all up in arms about t- taxes, right? Taxes, it was actually much better back then. You know, they only paid, what, uh, 10% for for a tithe. That's what they did. And then they paid, what, like 10% to Caesar. They paid kind of a tithe to Caesar. Um, But now it's like, when's Freedom Day? You guys know what Freedom Day is? The, The day in which we stop paying taxes, right? But then you guys have a coin, are those in existence anymore? No. If you do, like, put one in front of you. What does it say on there? It's the same, it's the same answer today. It's like, hey, listen, let's render to Caesar what's Caesar's. But no one can take away from us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in the material things. It's not in the finances. It's not in our bank account. It's not in our savings or, or any kind of, kind of investments. And not, it's not in any of that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's the same answer. It's really simple. We complicate things. But He continues because the Pharisees were done with Jesus and now He has the Sadducees that come. A whole other group. That doesn't, you guys know that the Sadducees don't believe in the what? In the resurrection, right? And that's what we come to here. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're sad, you see. That's the way to remember it. Okay, so the same day Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies, having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother, so to the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. 
But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Again, just straightforward, right? The other ones he called hypocrites, and then these guys, he just said, You're just wrong. You don't even, you don't even know what you're talking about. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Like angels, not angels. Right? Like angels, but not angels. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Again, there's that word, astonished, amazed. They were in awe. Their jaws were wide open. It just dropped like, what do you say to that? You know, so the Pharisees were taken care of. The Sadducees were taken care of. They were answered with perfect wisdom. Perfect wisdom. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trap Jesus into saying something that wasn't sound, wasn't truthful. But they couldn't. And even when he, even then, even then he taught with perfection interpreting the scriptures for what they were from the beginning when they were given. Jesus taught many things with many parables. We know that he gave many parables and they were all illustrations, ways in which pictures can be drawn in the minds of the disciples then and in our minds today and in our hearts to understand a heavenly truth. He judged correctly the woman at the well, the woman who was caught in adultery, the heart of the rich young ruler. And, of course, he judged Judas correctly. He prophesied his own death and encouraged his disciples with victory over sin and death. Jesus taught on heaven and hell and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He taught to store up treasure in heaven, to love God and to love one another. Jesus was and is the teacher sent from heaven. There's no doubt about it. But he was more than that. He was the I am. Let's turn to John now. John chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? At this point, they, people already wanted to take Jesus out. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. So at this point, many people were coming to believe in Jesus Christ for who he claimed to be. And yet, there were still others in Jerusalem that we just read that did not believe. They kind of, they heard these things that 
He was indeed the Messiah. He was sent by the Father. But they didn't believe that fully. They doubted it. But that's what was happening at the time. As he was teaching, he was going into the synagogues and he was teaching and he was showing by way of Scripture who he was. Turn with me to John chapter 8, the next chapter here, verse 39. No, chapter 8. All right, John chapter 8. Next thing I'm going to be dealing with Siri, right? And she's got an attitude. (laughs) She does. Have you ever tried her? You can actually get her upset. All right, so John chapter 8, verse 39. says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. These are actually people who were following Jesus. So they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. It's like, oh, wow. You know what they were telling Jesus? You're a bastard. Where's your father? Joseph adopted you, but where's your father? And that's, that's exactly what they said. Oh, you want to send something singing our way. Where's your father? And then Jesus said to them in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Yeah, that's a big ouch, right? It's like, hey, listen, you're questioning really my, my origin, where I come from. But let me tell you where you stand. You're not believing my word. Because through these verses, Jesus claimed to have direct communication with the Father. Jesus rebuked the people with divine authority. Basically, he was, he was claiming to know their heart. And who knows our heart? Can we judge each other knowing our hearts and our intentions and our motives and everything? Can you, can you ever do that? No, you can't because you're not God. They knew it in that day and, and we need to come to know it today in this day. We, we, cannot, we cannot do that. But Jesus was claiming to be able to do that. He could judge the heart. He knew their motives 
Jesus also claimed to be sinless. He says, which, which, which one of you convicts me of sin? Can you guys think of one thing? Just, I mean, if, if anyone, he was so close with all the disciples, he was completely transparent. If anyone could bring an accusation against Jesus and it be truthful and it stick, then he was not who he said he was. And he's, he left it out there. Hey, which one of you convicts me of sin? Anyone, just give it your best shot. It's not there. So he claimed to be sinless. And Jesus said the reason why they did not receive his word was because they really were not of God. So it was very direct. He he was definitely the teacher, but he was also saying, I am. I am who I am. I am. I am God. I am Yahweh. But then we continue, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So at this, the people lost it. There was no doubt that Jesus claimed to be eternal, sent by God. He claimed to be salvation, the one whom Abraham longed to see and did see. And then Jesus said it. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a clear, divine title that solely belongs to God, Yahweh. I am was a title and is a title of deity. It was understood clearly by everyone who heard Jesus say these words. Jesus, at this point, made abundantly clear he was claiming to be God. Jesus said before Abraham was, before he said this, before Abraham was, I am. I eternally Existed then, and I eternally exist now. 
I am. And there is no stronger affirmation of Jesus' preexistence. There, there is nothing. It's important to note how the people reacted to Jesus' statement. It was perfectly clear to them that Jesus claimed deity and they regarded it as blasphemy. Because they felt that because of Jesus' statements that he was worthy of death immediately. They, they picked up stones from the temple and they were about to stone him, to put him to death. He has the authority. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the teacher. And Jesus is I am. He is the son of God, the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity. So, we come now just... Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. You know, I love having the complete word of God before us because we can look at this situation at this time and go through all those verses. And there's many, many more that we could, could have gone through. And then we realize that the same thing that they were astonished with was the truth. It was a fact it says, when, they, when, he, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They're so amazed. At that point, they just, they didn't fully get it. They didn't, they didn't fully know. Where he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We need to realize this today. That as the church, as God's people, that we're not listening to the scribes of the day. We're not listening to the religious leaders if they are not in line with the word of God. The, the, the religious leaders of our day, um, we need to be like the Bereans to where even here, and I tell you, even here, test what I'm teaching. Make sure that it's in line with the word of God, that it's sound, that I'm not putting forth my own doctrine, my own spin on the words of God, that you allow him to interpret his own word. And if there's anything unsound, then you dismiss it. If there's any heresy, you run as fast as you can. That you confront that which is false. That you stand up and you are, you do take that place of being the watchman on the wall. We're all called to be that. Not to cower away, but to run forward in the soundness of God's truth. So with Jesus, he was interpreting he was teaching. He was rebuking. He was laying out the truth before them at that point and for us today. So Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. But Jesus could never have been a, a good teacher then, would not be a good teacher now. He wouldn't have been a good moral teacher then. And he wouldn't be that today if he wasn't who he said he was. Jesus was either Lord or nothing at all. And the people were astonished. But Jesus didn't come so that he could wow all the crowds. He healed many. He proclaimed the truth. He taught. But that's not what he came for. He didn't come so that it's like he's the most famous person on earth. 
I know even today, we talk about Jesus' fame. Let's make him famous. He's already famous. Like, his, like, like we could make him famous. He's already famous. You know what? Just teach the truth. Just speak the truth. And, uh, and his, his fame and his glory will be known. He'll claim. He'll speak the truth according to his word. He didn't come for that. He didn't come to wow the crowds. He came to seek and save the lost, as it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. That's what he came for. Mark chapter 8, verse 29 says, And he, Jesus, asked him, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. In John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's when Jesus was teaching some very difficult things. They're like, "Mm, We can't follow him anymore. And many turned away. So Jesus turned and he said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? Do you believe him for who he says he is? Because we can be believers in proclamation and atheists in application. We can come on Sundays, on Wednesdays, or any other days, Mondays for men's Bible study, and, and we, can, we can be believers in proclamation. Oh, I believe. I walk with the Lord. I love Him. And be atheists in application. That is not heeding the Word of God, not following, not yielding to its authority, His authority in our lives. So that's why it's like, it's not just with the mouth. We need to also show that with our lives, that we love Him. And it takes a surrendered heart. It's to understand first that He loved us, and then we can love in response. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God. And we yield to the Spirit, we yield to the Word of God, because we understand that He first loved us in sacrificing His Son on the cross. And because of that, as we believe that Jesus not only died on the cross for our sins, He was buried and on the third day resurrected to life. And that's our hope. Do you believe who Jesus said he was? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, he is the way, the truth, and the life? Romans 10.9 says, If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. And I believe that the only way that you can say that, because Scripture tells us, is is if you have the Spirit uh, who is coming to you and showing you who Jesus truly is. You see, God draws us unto himself, is what the word tells us. And so at that point, I know when I did, when I came to that point to where I understood, it's like I saw. You you know, when you get to a point to where it's like you hear it, "Ah, Jesus is the son of God, he died on the cross for our sins. But when I saw it personally for me, my eyes were wide open. Like, that's it. My forgiveness, forgiveness for my sins is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's like, so all I have to do is surrender my life to him and ask him for forgiveness with all sincerity. And he will not only forgive me, but he gives me the hope of heaven through him. Answer is yes. If you're here this morning and you don't know salvation in Jesus Christ, don't let this day go by without 
asking any questions that you may have. If you have any doubt, we're here. Just as Stephen said, we're here. We'd love to answer any questions. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd love to lead you down down that path, knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, will be saved. It's God's promise. It's God's promise. So I pray for salvation, and I pray that you are deeply grounded in the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we... uh, We thank you that you did send your only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I thank you, Lord, that as you spoke on this earth, you spoke with perfect authority and at the same time with perfect love. And I simply ask you this morning as we close that you would reveal yourself to anyone who has come this morning and does not know you as a personal God. I ask, Father, that they would see your love for what it is, that you demonstrated it on the cross by sending your Son to die on the cross in our place. I pray, Lord, that we would come to a place in our lives, if we haven't, that we simply cry out to you asking for your forgiveness. And we know that if we do that, not only asking for your forgiveness, but that you would be our Lord and our Savior, that that's what you desire most of all. For you desire that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So I pray for anyone who's in that place who who hasn't come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation. And I pray for the church, that you would strengthen the church, that we would stand in the truth, and that we would be students of the word, that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but we would be diligent to give ourselves to the study of Scripture, and we would stand in the truth. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.